The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is an absolute pleasure and honor to welcome Ariane Lottie. She is a legislative specialist. She at the present time coordinates the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition's policy campaigns. She serves as a liaison between the grassroots and policy staff and the staff's several program areas, including organic and food safety issues. She holds a master's degree in environmental management from Yale University. She has served as the policy director for the Organic Farming Research Foundation. And what's really interesting is that Ariane has conducted research on organic and conventional farms in the United States and Europe. So welcome, Ariane. Thank you, Melinda. It's great to be on the show. Well, I feel like we should talk about the Farm Bill because it is such an important piece of legislation and I don't want our listeners to have their eyes glaze over when we talk about the Farm Bill. Stay with us. It's going to really be interesting and extremely important. But we should probably mention a little something about the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. Being that it's a coalition, who makes up the National Sustainable Ag Coalition? The National Sustainable Ag Coalition is an alliance of grassroots organizations from across the country who together form policy priorities to advocate for sustainable agriculture. So we have member groups from the Northeast, the Midwest, the South, California, from really all over the country who work directly with farmers and ranchers and rural and urban communities to make a better food system. So Every year, the the members of the coalition get together and they meet and they debate and they set priorities for the year. And they also set priorities for the Farm Bill campaign. And like you said, it's we're in a Farm Bill year this year, and the Farm Bill is a really big piece of legislation, but it's a really timely topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. Always, because every five years we revisit the Farm Bill. So I feel like this needs to be a regular conversation. Yes, it does, and an ongoing conversation, because not only is the Farm Bill reauthorized every five years, but every year certain programs are funded through Congress that have to do with the Farm Bill. So I really think that anyone who kind of cares about where their food comes from and what they eat and what society eats has a stake in the outcome of the Farm Bill. And we really should call it the Farm and Food Bill, don't you think? I do. I agree with you. And this is a little known fact about the Farm Bill, but the largest piece of it is actually the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is more commonly known as food stamps. Exactly. Actually, the bill itself is a pretty large bill, and it covers 15 different areas, everything from trade and credit to conservation and farm subsidies and research But the biggest piece of that is actually the nutrition title, which funds food stamps. And let's talk about the percent, because I like to try to see things visually. Okay, so 
we could use a dollar bill and we can cut it into pieces. Or I like the pie graphs. And if we picture a big circle like it's a pie and we cut it into sections, 70% of that pie, of that of those farm bill dollars, go to food stamps. Yes. Actually, the number is now a little bit more the and this is really budget speak, the Congressional Budget Office, which is kind of the main budgeting office for Congress, just released new estimates on the cost of the farm bill. And their estimates show that the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program is estimated to cost about 78% of a bill, a farm bill. 78%. Wow. That's staggering. And I think... You know, when you talk to people about the Farm Bill, probably because it's called the Farm Bill, the first thing that comes to their mind are those subsidies, right? And subsidies are what percentage then? Well, it's a little bit tricky because what what we think of as farm subsidies, so often direct payments to producers to produce certain crops like corn and soybeans, make up approximately Six to seven percent of the bill right now. Wow. But the new kind of increasing price tag for farm subsidies is actually now in crop insurance. Mm. So crop insurance subsidies are actually growing and they're becoming much bigger um, with increased crop prices and with changes in farm policy that are being debated right now in Washington. But it's estimated that crop insurance subsidies will make up about 10% or so of a new farm bill based on current current budget estimates. So between the crop insurance subsidies and the commodity subsidies that we think of as more the, the traditional direct payments or farm subsidies for production, that makes up about 16 to 17% mm. of a farm bill. Now, let's talk a little bit about crop insurance because I'm not a farmer myself, so I want to try to understand, let's just say I have there's a farmer friend down the road has 2,000 blueberry bushes, and she's also got some market crops, some vegetables, and we have a hailstorm. Does crop insurance cover her, or is the crop insurance really geared towards those big producers like the corn and soybean folks? Crop insurance is really geared towards those big producers of uh, corn and soybean. Mm-hmm. It's not that there there aren't crop insurance tools for that blueberry farmer, but it's that they're inadequate and inappropriate for both the type of crop but also a diversity of production. So it's really hard for farmers who produce more than a few crops to get risk management or a crop insurance policy that covers all of them together so that they don't have to do a commodity-by-commodity policy And then for organic farmers, there really are very few options that work for organic farmers in crop insurance because there's this unfounded assumption by the government that organic farming is riskier, even if the emerging science in the field is showing that, in fact, organic systems are more resilient. So the government slaps on an automatic surcharge for organic farmers. And then if an organic farmer suffers a loss, they get paid back not at the organic price, which is often higher, but at the conventional price. 
So these are examples of some of the crop insurance changes that the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition is trying to make in the next farm bill, you know, both for organic farmers, but for diversified producers, especially who grow more than a few crops. You can't see me, but my mouth really is hanging open over your statement about organic farmers being perceived as being higher risk when the science shows that they actually are more resilient. How do we get something like that changed? Well, the best way to get something like that changed is actually to engage in the the process. So every year, so if we have to reauthorize a farm bill every five years, there's a multi-year process before Congress actually votes on the final bill during which members of Congress debate different proposals. And the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition is about to release its farm bill platform And that platform is really based on the feedback and the input that we get from farmers and ranchers throughout the country. And one of the key things that they'd like to see change is the crop insurance piece of it. Mm -hmm. And so we've introduced with certain congressional champions, Representative Shelley Pingree from Maine and Senator Brown from Ohio, one bill which looks to create jobs and spur economic growth through food and farming systems Mm -hmm. that also includes provisions to fix crop insurance so that it works for organic and local and regional producers. And I should let our listeners know that if these topics sound complicated, your website is wonderful. You can learn about the different programs, learn about what's in place to fix them. And what I also love about the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition is that you can sign up to be on action alerts. So when there is a bill coming forth and there needs to be public support, we know when to call and we know who to call. So I should just let our listeners know that the website is simply sustainableagriculture.net. Exactly. And it's important to note that those calls that are made at key times during the process really help pass reforms in farm policy because we work here in Washington, D.C. We have a staff of policy associates who really work with offices to educate them on our issues, and we work with our member groups, you know, who are state-based and regional organizations to build support at the grassroots level for these provisions and for a better farm policy. But without that support at the grassroots level, we have no legitimacy, and we can't really pressure lawmakers into supporting a better farm policy. Mm-hmm. An example of another way for people to engage is to actually come to D.C. and meet with their legislators or to meet with legislators in state or in the, in their district. And last week we hosted a farmer fly-in with 30 farmers from 19 different states to meet with their legislators and talk about what they do on their farms and the barriers and obstacles that they see in growing and improving their operations. From that, then, we can work with those offices and with those farmers, too, to make sure that policies are appropriate for the systems that we want. I know that one of the things we're looking at is making sure that conservation practices 
are tied to crop insurance. So if you're going to collect crop insurance, you've got to be able to show that you've been practicing good land stewardship. But that's not a given, is it? That's something that we're working for. We are working on that, and I'm glad you brought that up because this is one of the big contentious issues in the current Farm Bill debate where earlier I explained that the bigger farm subsidy is actually for crop insurance. Right. Instead of those commodity subsidies that we associate with direct payments for production of certain commodities. The direct payments and the commodity subsidies already have, as a condition of receiving them, a requirement that a farmer needs to implement basic conservation practices to avoid soil erosion and protect wetlands. Those same requirements don't currently apply to crop insurance. They did before the 1996 Farm Bill, but then they were removed. With crop insurance becoming a much bigger part of the Farm Bill, it's important that those requirements, which farmers are already doing to receive farm program payments, are extended to crop insurance. Ariane, who might want conservation efforts removed? There are certain politicians in Congress who don't like to attach conservation requirements to agricultural production, despite the fact that they actually maintain and enhance agricultural productivity over the long term. So they're helping to, you know, protect our soil, improve our water quality, reverse habitat loss, and make sure that the land can actually sustain production for generations to come. But there are lawmakers who don't like that. You know how I see conservation? I see land conservation methods like a lot like preventive medicine. You know, exactly. you, you keep the core healthy, you keep the base healthy, and you're going to have better outcomes. Yes, exactly. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Ariane Lati. She is a legislative specialist with the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. And Ariane, I have to ask you a personal question because I was so interested by your bio that you actually worked on and conducted research. You you were hands, boots on, hands in the soil on organic and conventional farms, both in the United States and Europe. And I'm curious, what led you from the farm itself to working on policy? Well, I have to say that I work on policy because I have worked on farms. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are so many wonderful farmers who are doing incredible work on the ground. And the farms that I worked on in the U.S. were in the Northeast and in the Midwest. And what I found while I was working on those farms is that there are barriers to expanding these systems throughout the United States. Um, And those barriers, are some of them are policy barriers. And without changes in policy, the farming that I was doing on sustainable farms and organic farms in Iowa and in Maine and Connecticut and in West Virginia would be limited to a small percentage of agriculture in the United States. And that's just not going to take us to a place in the future where we have a healthy food system and we have a productive landscape that has, you know, clean water and good soil and all of these different characteristics. And so while I personally 
love to farm and really admire farmers because it's really, really hard work mm-hmm. and the cards are really stacked against you, especially if you're a beginning farmer, if you're a minority farmer, if you're just getting into farming. It's really hard to get into farming. Mm-hmm. I have a ton of admiration for farmers who do the day-in and day-out work of farming, and I really want to see sustainable systems adopted on a wide scale in the U.S., mm-hmm. and that, in my mind, right now really means working on federal policy. I agree. Now, did you see differences in Europe? Were the farmers rewarded or given incentives for having good conservation practices in place? Yes. Um, so the the structure of the U.S. farm policy and of the European farm policies are different, where in Europe they've incentivized the production of a, a wider range of crops and commodities. So it's not just, you know, a handful of commodity crops that farm policy incentivizes like here in the U.S. And then one of the things that I found really fascinating was that in Europe the landscape is seen as providing multiple benefits. It's not just a landscape or the land shouldn't just produce food. It should also preserve the environment, provide for agritourism and for rural, you know, recreation. In part because Europe is more densely populated, they need to get multiple uses out of their land instead of just moving all land for production to one part of the country and moving kind of outdoor recreation land in into national parks. So it's a it's a different concept of how to interact with the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be nice if we could have some of that thinking brought over here. So we, we also recognize the benefits of protecting that land. It's, it's really interesting to compare the two models. You mentioned that beginning farmers have a real trouble, and I recently looked at the Young Farmer Coalition report that identified three main barriers for young mm-hmm. farmers getting into the, the profession. One was access to land, one was access to capital, and the third was access to health care. Yep. And I wonder, are there any components of the farm bill that would address some of the hurdles that beginning farmers face? Absolutely. And the National Young Farmers Coalition is actually a member group of the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. And so we've worked closely with them and other member groups who work on beginning farmer issues to develop a comprehensive strategy for beginning farmers in the U.S. And so we actually have a bill that is introduced. It's called the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Opportunity Act, and it's been introduced both in the Senate and in the House, and it does a few main things. It enables access to land, credit, and crop insurance for new producers, It helps new producers launch and strengthen farm and value-added businesses. It helps new producers become good land stewards. And it provides mentoring, training, and research that beginning farmers and ranchers need. There's also another component of the bill that helps to build the link between military veterans Mm. and beginning farmers so that veterans who have retired from the military and are looking for a way to re-engage in the U.S. can think of farming as a new, you know, as a possible career. Absolutely. The Farmer Veteran Coalition is so active and they're doing such marvelous work, healing veterans in so many ways. And I think improving public health because 
we're going to have better food on the table with more local, smaller production. And, you know, one of the farmers who flew in for the fly-in was a farmer from South Dakota, a beginning farmer from South Dakota, and he had a great line. His name was Jason. He said, we can think of this farm bill as a farm bill of cuts, in part because there are such huge fiscal and budgetary constraints right now. We can think of it as a farm bill of crop insurance because crop insurance is really one of the hot topics in farming and in farm policy right now, how to how to build a, the right type of farm safety net to serve producers. Or he said, we can think about it as a farm bill of the future in which we really focus the policies on ensuring that the next generation of farmers can succeed. And I thought that was one of the most compelling ways to talk about why we need to focus policy on the next generation of farmers. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's an investment. And I think with climate change, you know, that sort of gets into, I'm sure, the crop insurance discussion, right? And how do we plan for a sustainable future in the face of climate change? How much does climate change come up in these conversations? Right now, at the federal level and in farm policy and the debates around farm bill, climate change doesn't come up much at all. Mm. But the opposite of that, which is, you know, or the a piece of that, which is what you brought up, the, the crop insurance, the disaster assistance, how do we help farmers through increasing climate change and climate variability comes up all the time. But any actual proactive effort to mitigate or adapt to climate change through the farm bill is not really happening right now. When farmers come in and you have these meetings with the, with different your different groups, are there certain topics that keep bubbling up to the top? You know, what do farmers say they really need and really want? Yes, there are a number of key topics that bubble up to the top, and we hear these all the time through our member groups um, and the feedback that they get from the farmers that they work with. So the farmers we work with really want to take advantage of the economic opportunity in local and regional and organic food systems. Mm -hmm. And so they really want to be able to meet that market demand and scale up from perhaps direct-to-consumer markets um, or CSAs or community-supported agriculture projects to be able to serve healthy food to institutions like schools, hospitals, and and government uh, institutions as well. So that's one of the areas that we hear a lot about. Another is what we just touched upon, these barriers to to have new farmers start farming. And a lot of our member groups really work with farmers on the ground on training and mentoring to make sure that people who are interested in farming can find the land, can find the capital, and can be trained in a way that makes them be successful farmers in the future. The farmers we work with also really care about natural resources and improved agricultural productivity through good management of those natural resources. And so we hear a lot about how instead of just incentivizing production in agriculture, let's incentivize good land stewardship which will then improve production anyway. And a lot of the farmers that we work with across the country participate in conservation programs and really want to see those programs improved and maintained going ahead. 
Mm-hmm. And then something that I find really interesting, and which is often not on the radar screen of some of the the politicians who debate these issues, is the importance of funding innovation in organic and sustainable food systems. So funding research, education, and extension. And this is something that I've come to appreciate over a few years in working in these issues because currently the Department of Agriculture funds very a very small percentage of organic and sustainable agriculture research. But that research drives the innovation that we see in the fields, and it really helps farmers deal with the problems that they face in production and in, and in processing and in handling and in marketing. And without that innovation and that support for innovation, it's hard to expand and grow and build production. It's really interesting that you say that because it reminds me of one of the slogans that comes out of the Organic Farming Research Foundation, which is anything that benefits an organic farmer benefits every farmer because we teach by doing the research and then teaching other farmers methods that are not chemical and fossil fuel dependent, everybody benefits from that. Yeah, yep, exactly. And the last area that we really kind of hear a lot about and that a lot of people that is in the in the media more right now from the farm end is also about crop insurance and risk management. And we talked about that earlier, but one of the things that that we hear, especially after some of the weather, the extreme weather that we've had in the past six months in, in a variety of areas in the country, we hear that crop insurance just isn't is not appropriate or accessible for sustainable, diversified, and organic farmers Mm -hmm. and ranchers. And that's something that we are trying to change. Is there anything else about the Farm Bill that I neglected to ask you that you would like to bring forth? I think you've really hit a lot of the main points on the head. I will say that the cost of some of the proposals that we're putting forth are a really small percentage of the overall cost of the bill, and I would encourage people to get involved in advocating for these issues with their members of Congress and in their own communities because the more that people care about what they eat, I think the more they realize the importance of policies and the decisions that politicians make. And they obviously have a voice in that process. Well, and I want to once again uh, drive our listeners to your website because it's really a wonderful, you know, we're busy, we need a one-stop shop. It's simply sustainableagriculture.net. And do you, you know, if farmers want to get involved, are they, um, I'm, I'm including everyone who eats in this, but specific policies for farmers, do you have a, a, do you welcome farmers to call and ask about specifics that might help them on the farm, or is there another organization? What we do is we usually direct farmers to, member organizations of the coalition. Okay. So we have, like I said, over 90 coalition members, and they're the ones that are best suited to serve farmers in their states and, and regions because they'll have they'll be able to point them to either other resources locally for them or we'll be able to answer specific regionally-based questions. Great. Great. Well, we've got to close, but I want to thank you so much, Ariane, for helping to explain a very complicated piece of legislation 
Just to remind our listeners, we've been speaking with Ariane Lottie. She's a legislative specialist. She coordinates the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition's policy campaigns. You can go to the website, which is sustainableagriculture.net, to see how you can get more involved. Get on that action alert list. I highly recommend it. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Ariane, thank you so much for your work. Thank you so much, Melinda. Melinda.